Good afternoon and welcome everybody. This would be the Jeff Cameron Show right here on 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. It's great to be with you. Hope you're well. Thanks for tuning in to us. I'm Jeff. That is Tom, Director Matthew in the house as always. Watching over the proceedings. If you are listening on 93.3 Real Talk Radio, thank you. Watch it on War Chant TV. Don't forget to uh, like and subscribe so that others may find the show and get involved and interactive with us each afternoon. And uh, good to be with you. I just came. I just got done. I came straight here, Tom, from from doing defensive tackle, interior defensive line preview for WarChant.com and WarChant TV. Myself and Corey Clark shot that video along with Aslan, and. Um, it should be up soon, and I'm looking forward to it. You know, that was one of the more encouraging endeavors there. A lot of times, you know, we all take turns, and, and, and it's great. Uh, I mean, I love my job. This is so cool to get down into the weeds with a football program that desperately needs to get back up to a place where it's contending for conference championships. And obviously from there, hopefully in due time, short times, uh, we'll see this team back in the uh, top 20 Top 25 on a regular basis competing potentially for a college football playoff. But that's down the line. And what you do is is as you go into spring football, and we're right on the cusp of doing it, you analyze segment group by segment group and you decide, is this good enough? Will this be good enough? Do they have to vastly improve in this area or that area? Is this something by way of comparison in the conference that's anywhere close to elite? And the answer has been, over the last several years, in most of these groups, a resounding no. It has been a disappointing uh, task or endeavor to sit down and break down spring preview, fall preview, doesn't matter the preview, it's just been disappointing because there have been individual highlights, there have been real expectations and hopes and dreams and wishes and wants amongst certain players but not segment groups on the whole. It has been very rare that we have sat back and said, you know, this group is really good. Now, I got it wrong. I thought the secondary going into last year was going to be a real strength of this team. Really, the last two years, I think you and I both really felt like there was real upside to that segment group, and it just turned out that they were bitterly disappointing, uh, with the exception of a few young guys emerging last year. I, I think of Knowles, and I, I think of uh, Will, I think of um, Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper, sorry. Uh, those two individuals I was very excited about. Now listen, uh, Brownlee plays really hard, cares deeply, is flawed physically, but he'll stick his head in there and is passionate and works. And, and listen, he's serviceable. He's not elite. He's, he's serviceable. But there haven't been nearly enough of those guys. And I would say that part of that is that some guys either fell through the cracks or whose attitudes uh, weren't great in that segment group, in that meeting room, if you will. I don't know how it has been that we've gotten to a place where Travis Jay, who's as athletic as anybody can imagine, has just been largely useless in this program. That kind of frustration is what I'm talking about. But today, going through it and talking about the defensive tackles, the interior of the defensive line specifically, not the edges, I really came away encouraged because as I dove deep, and you know, obviously you recollect the level of play you saw a year ago, you looked at who was coming back. Really, I think that was the infusion of 
great news for Florida State upon the offseason. Like the season ends, you take stock, you take inventory, you say to yourself, well, that was bitterly disappointing, a sub-500 season again. This has uh, been protracted in a way that uh, none of us would have dreamt of 10 years ago. Very, very frustrating as it is. And, um, and, and, and so you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're waiting for more bad news because you're beaten, you're broken down and all of that. But that's the area in which you got good news. When Fabian Lovett said, I'm coming back, when Big Goop said, I'm coming back, you thought, okay, all right. You've got something to work with here. You've got real size. You've got a lot of snaps that have been taken by quality players who performed at a plus level in this conference. And really, I think those are plus players nationally, especially Fabian Lovett. So when you found out, that they were coming back, you began to put the pieces of the puzzle back together. And, you know, I thought at the end of last year, Malcolm Ray flashed. I thought there were signs that this was a group that you could depend on coming into the season. And our position breakdown, you'll watch it on Warchant TV, Warchant.com, myself, Corey Clark. It'll be up soon, as I mentioned. Uh, I think we came away feeling more positive about this group, perhaps more than any other, because in every other segment group, Tom, every other place you look – there's a real ceiling for starters. Also, there's a real uh, lack of depth. Uh, there's a guy that you like, but you think, well, knock on wood, if anything happens to him, we're screwed. And I think that's kind of true at running back. I think it's true at quarterback, obviously. Uh, you don't have great depth, not proven depth, anyhow, at wide receivers, certainly. We're hoping that all of the grad transfers or the transfer portal guys come in and save us. Um, Offensive tackle. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, so you you lose a guy here or there, you go, hmm, well, it's going to be problematic. Very problematic. Linebacker has been very problematic for a long time. So really every other, obviously tied in. You had one productive tied in. Well, in truth, one and a half, I guess, if you're going to count Wilson from a year ago, whose second half of the season was yeah, vastly yeah, improved over the first half. That, was, that came out of nowhere. Yeah, it did, because he sucked for the first six games. Sucked. And and so when you're sitting there thinking about what you have or don't have, um, you know, you're hoping to find not only a good player or two, but a depth of talent that gives you wiggle room. Football's a game of attrition. Obviously, people get hurt. It's very, very physical. So you better have some guys behind the guy. And this is a group that does. I mean, it's not three deep, but it's two deep. I mean, that, that, they got guys that can rotate in, and there is flexibility, as Briley points out in the chat. Love it coming back gave us a, a ton of flexibility with Briggs. It gave us more flexibility. I would probably opt out of the word ton, but I do think that obviously you got a guy that you could move inside and out, depending down a distance. All of that, I'm, I'm there with that. Uh, I'm hoping Farmer emerges as a guy. They love him physically. Uh, because he's a kid that, you know, a 290 redshirt freshman, getting bigger, getting stronger, has an opportunity to contribute uh, more than certainly he did a year ago, and, and they like him a lot. I already mentioned Malcolm Ray. I already talked about Big Coop coming back. I, you know, the guys, the candidates, the people that we already know, you feel good about. You really do. And so I'm hoping, I don't know what you could ever expect, for example, if you look at FSU's uh, official roster, uh, Seminoles.com, let's see, you go there and you just look at the roster and you go by position group. They only really have five defensive tackles that they list, and then there's defensive linemen, right? But a couple of those defensive linemen that they just kind of have their nebulous, you know, could be inside it, 
a guy like Bishop Thomas, I don't know what you expect in year one, but he's a 290-plus-pound guy that you think in time can, can give you some solid reps. Yeah, at that point, you just look at the weight, and the weight will tell you where they line up, how close to the football that they are going uh, to line yeah, up. Yeah. You don't have many 290-pound guys that can line up as a 7 or a 9 technique. That'd be nice just, if he did. That'd be yeah, something, huh? That would be freakish. Probably yeah, be uh, yeah. the size of Calais Campbell yeah. making those plays. But, yeah, I mean, with the Briggs issue um, – well, it's less than an issue now. You can play Keir Thomas' position and set the edge for you, maybe affect the passer a little bit. Then you get in third and long, you bring in a more wiry pass rusher in a third and seven or third and eight if you can get there and consistently into that position. Jared Verse on the other side, Briggs in the middle, along with your best interior pass rushing guy that you like or somebody that could take on two blockers. Yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. You're looking for position versatility. You're going to get it there, and we need it desperately. If we had a complete overhaul on the front four mm. with those two guys, Cooper and Lovett, leaving this offseason. It would have been devastating. This would be a very different tone about what this defense can do because be up front you can just get run on. Death tone. Yeah. It would yeah. be this is not going to go well. I mean, I don't know what I expect out of Joshua Farmer. I mentioned him. I don't know how much I expect out of Jared Jackson, but I know Jared Jackson flashed some last year he too. Did. I also know at six six, you know, three hundred pounds, he's got plenty of frame to put on some a quality weight and strength, and obviously mature and get better. I no, I I I think this is a this is a depth area that you should should feel pretty good about. So defensive ends, which Ira and I did on Warchant TV earlier in the week, this spring and this fall camp, independent of them going and dipping into the transfer portal again, if you win a job for the ac- the exterior edge rusher, defensive end, whatever you want to call it, Fox, whatever, mm-hmm. Buck, the name of it, you're fighting for sixty reps a game. 65 reps a game. If you come out on top with Jared Verse, you're going to get a lot of run, a lot of plays. In the interior, however, what you're fighting for is an extra 10, oh, 15. Maybe. Maybe. You know, maybe 20 if you're the first guy off the bench for these two. But it, it's more, these guys yeah, are more if you're entrenched. Malcolm Ray, maybe, or right, Jared Jackson. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like you were already going to get 10 or 12, yeah. but you might get 20 because you're playing well. So it's a completely different position group when you're talking about who's battling for what. Yeah, it is. It it absolutely is. But it's one that put a smile on my face, and I can't say that when I go to really any other position group. That's true. I can't say it about the secondary. I have hopes, but I don't. I don't walk away smiling, thinking, "Ah, that's a sure thing." I don't do it. Uh, offensive line's the next closest, and that is a stunning thing to talk about. I mean, it really is. Uh, and now it's not me trying to present to you that the offensive line is a an elite unit. It is not within the ACC or otherwise. It's not elite. It just doesn't suck for once. And it's been a long time since we could say that. I don't think it's going to suck. How about that? Boy, that does. Hope springs eternal, doesn't it? You throw out there, hey, I don't think they're going to suck. Well, and it's specifically the interior, right? I mean, there's some things to prove at tackle this offseason, spring, fall camp. Who's your third guy, first of all? There's a big question. I don't know. Is it going to be Lloyd Willis? Is it going to be somebody like a Rod Orr? Are we going to dip back into the transfer portal again and go find somebody that can be Jalen Goss? <laughs> right? Or is it what you know about Bless Harris? Yeah. You know, well, but you, Bless you like Harris, I think was brought in to be a backup. Yeah, Darius Washington was okay for big stretches this season. Robert Scott, they started him at left. Then even when he was healthier, they still stuck him at right. So there's some things to sort out at tackle, but the interior. The conversation about the interior of the O-line is much different. You feel like you've got maybe five or six guys to fill those three positions. Yeah, I agree with that. I would also say this. I need to see, and this is tough love, Cameron, making an early appearance before spring even starts. Robert Scott, two fingers to my eyes, two fingers to you, baby. Come on now. That speed rush was a problem. Woo! That's an understatement early in the show. 
My goodness gracious, he really, and I kept hearing about how much, you know, potential there is and how, I didn't see it. I didn't see the bend. I didn't see the feet. I didn't see the quickness. I didn't see a damn thing. Yeah, well, it's interesting, too, because we talked last year, fall camp, the uh, the opening luncheon, and there were, you know, ground rules laid out by Mike Norvell about yes. this is what you can talk about, this is what you can't talk about. So you can say maybe that these guys are working with the ones in the trenches, but you can't say where they're lining up. And I was like, okay, that doesn't seem to be that much of a mystery. And then we get to the first practice, and, and you got Robert Scott at left tackle. I'm like, oh, oh, so that's okay. So there's a grand experiment right, going right, on right, here right, right. with with Robert Scott at left. Didn't work out all that great. But the question about him and where you would qualify it is: was there just a lingering issue, injury issue that he was well, he was injured. Through? So Gator Kirk writes he was injured at the end of the year. He was injured all year. Right. Virtually all year. But how much did it impact his ability to know. get off the line and stop a speed rush? Because. Uh, uh, I I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to shortchange the kid in terms of potential because I know he works hard. Uh, he's not one of these guys that isn't doing everything he can to get better. He is. He's a, he's a workout warrior. He had to flip the switch. He had the funny interview with Aslan. He was great. Uh, and and so I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting for all these guys. I mean, who the hell am I kidding? I want Florida State to be good. Makes my job easier. I'm a Noel. I care. I want this all to be, you know. But there are kids that you really root for who you knew are putting in the work, who care deeply and are passionate, and they're putting in the time trying to get better. He's one of them, but he wasn't very good. And I don't know how much of that was the injury. I don't know how much of that was, um, you know, he's asked to do too much too soon. That's what we've really had a problem with at Florida State for some time now, is that when you think about the 22 starters, right, a lot of the time, those are guys that, yeah, their upside's better than anybody else, so they're plugged in. But they're plugged in in a program that's not healthy. Because if you're healthy, you're not asking a kid like that with all that upside to go out there, especially at key positions on the offensive and defensive line, and play very young. You don't want to do that. You get beat up physically. That affects you mentally. Bottom line is, if you go out too soon, and you're a redshirt freshman, even a sophomore, and you go out there and you face grown-ass men that are juniors and seniors, and they've been in that weightlifting program, and they've played in those trenches, and they beat you up, well, now your confidence is affected. And once you see a kid devoid of confidence, whether or not he physically improves or not, and certainly you'd like to believe under Coach Storms, that will absolutely happen. But if they don't believe that they can compete or they're fragile mentally now you've shattered them even as they get stronger so my hope is that um, we're getting to a place when we talk about the depth we talk about the two deep of the offensive and defensive line that we're getting to a place where we can not force kids into action well before they're ready because it has a lot more deleterious effect on them than just the physical and just the mental it sets them back years and and it's just it's aggravating because it's been a vicious cycle at Florida State for a handful of years minimum, handful of years minimum, and that's why you have losing seasons. It's why you can't get back up. Everybody, you know, pick yourself up by the bootstraps, do this and this. When you get caught in these cycles, there is no magic pill unless you find Jermaine Johnson. He's a magic pill, but it's awfully hard to do. Those guys are sought after by everybody. And I might add, many of them are sought after by teams whose programs are healthier and routinely these days better than ours. And so you get a little lucky, you save the day, it buys you a year, but at some point we've got to get out of this rut. Jeff Cameron, Show 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Sticks. 
The legacy continues. J.Y., Tommy, Chuck, Todd, Lawrence, Ricky, and Will. Sticks. February 22nd, 2022. Donald L. Tucker Civic Center. With one hit song after another. Tickets on sale now at TuckerCivicCenter.com. Don't miss Sticks Live. Can't start soon enough for me, though. I'm ready to get it on, ready to be out there and watch this thing take shape. I got asked, I was on a show uh, the other day, and somebody asked me um, what, what is the most realistic outcome of the upcoming season. And we play this game over and over and over again, and we'll do it all the way into August until they play Duquesne. Uh, and, and I said, uh, I thought that the most likely outcome um, if we were just doing percentages, whether it was six wins, seven wins, eight wins, nine wins, whatever, uh, I said it was eight wins. Um, and I have to admit, I've, I've waffled some back and forth on that. Uh, between seven or eight wins is where I am. I think it's definitely more than six, uh, but it's below ten. I don't. I don't think there's really any chance to win ten games this year. Um, and I think nine is unlikely as well. Just because of the amount of games you play against veteran quarterbacks, seasoned quarterbacks that have played exceptionally well against us in the past and have another opportunity to do again here, you are replacing uh, two dynamic players defensively, and and I I think that's problematic. You have improved in some areas. I think your offense is going to be better, but anyhow, the schedule's really tough, too. When you think about the number of ranked teams and the teams you play on the road with experienced quarterbacks, that gets awfully difficult. You know, what sucks about this situation, though, is, you know, this would be a great year if you were a halfway decent quarterback to go into the NFL draft. So it tells you that none of these kids have, you know, that high of a, a potential draft grade. Because if you could leave now, oh, that yeah, was the year. You don't want to go in. next year. You want to do right now and get into that combine, show your wares, and, and get drafted, you know, 40 spots higher than you would in a typical year with typical quarterback depth. Yeah, I don't believe... So it tells you that they're very good college football players, and that's probably their ceiling for each one of them. Problem is, we're playing college football. Uh, exactly. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, and uh, and that that really, you know, I agree with you, by the way. When you go through and you think about, um, what is it, April 28th uh, is, the, is the draft in Las Vegas. By the way, I'm sure we'll do our normal and have a lot of fun, you know, get together, head Ellen over to, uh, to Bumpas and, and do it up. That's the plan. Um, yeah. For example, um, if you went through and and talked about um, you know positions of need, and the draft starts with Jacksonville. They've already drafted Trevor Lawrence a year ago. They're not going quarterback. So the next team that comes up that needs a quarterback is right off the bat the Detroit Lions. I believe. I mean, certainly, I, I think they need a quarterback. Um, and you wonder, I mean, will they do that or will they go edge rusher or wide receiver? I think they go edge rusher. I think I, I think they'll take the kid out of Michigan at defensive end if he's there. And so then, then you go to what? Houston is the third pick, right? So their pressing needs, depending on who you read, and I've read a lot about this already because I'm a geek when it comes to this stuff, is quarterback, obviously, and also corner. Uh, so they might be a candidate. Any of these guys you think worth going in the top three? No. The Jets don't need a quarterback, or they just took one. The Giants. No, I think this is a buyer's market if you're trying to get into the top ten. You know, and this is a weird off season in which, unfortunately, for the Jets 
you know, they they got a quarterback that they like enough to not move. Well, and, and, he's brand new, yeah, and he showed enough of a sign. But yeah. they have the draft capital to go get somebody big who wants out of either Green Bay or Seattle. They have it. They have it right there. So do the Giants. Yeah. So in a weird way, this is a buyer's market for better teams to come up and improve their their position. Go get a top 10 pick because it's going to be about as cheap as it possibly could be because what you're talking about needs and what's available in the draft. Supply and demand. If you had to grade or rate uh, in order of uh, most to least important uh, needs for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which you hear right here on 93.3 Real Talk Radio when the season rolls around, would you start at quarterback or would you start at wide receiver? Would you start at offensive line? Would you start at what are your long-term plans for tight end, running back, interior defensive line beyond Vita? Like, where would you start with this? The Bucks really are in a position where they should draft best player available, uh, I think. Um, and and I would ask you this: What if Pickett were there uh, at at quarterback, and you're drafting twenty seventh? I think is yeah. You can't you can't because you took Trask last year. Yeah, but Trask is garbage. I agree, but I don't think that they would do that because it's the same regime. Now, for me, what I would do is, unless you have a position player freak, a non trench monster freak. You need to take the best player in the trenches, be it defensive interior, Always. offensive interior, yeah, right tackle. You can move Worfs over to left, whatever it is, because they've got Shaq Barrett to rush the passer. Tryon, we'll see. Not the most disciplined player in the world. You got Vita, but Sue is going to be gone, and I'm sure some of those backups will be gone. Nunez Rochez can't play forever. Will Golston can't play forever. So you have need on the defensive line. And then on offense, Jensen's going to be around for a year or two more if we resign him. Which we Cap, should. Cap is gone, and you don't want Donovan Smith. So you have three openings potentially in the next year or two on the offensive line. So go grab one there. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's it's I I do. I, it never gets old. It's why we are always looking at this stuff. It's why we laugh um, that we see all these mocks, and yet you and I are just as guilty because we'll <laughs> we'll come in here uh, late February and be like, oh, okay, let's talk a little bit about this. Uh, I do think that Aiden Hutchinson is going to go one or two. Boy, wouldn't Detroit like that if they could get their guy out of Michigan. Um, but if he, if you know, if if he goes one for any reason, then Detroit would, uh, wouldn't you trade down, I would think? I don't know. That's I mean, what I'm saying. There would be a lot of sellers, mm-hmm. so you could get a cheap price to move up on this board. There has to be, just because of the redundancy of uh, the Eagles have three in the first round? Yeah, so do the Giants and so do the Jets. Yeah. There's just... I mean, if you're a Green Bay or 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 a Rams or or somebody who's that close, and you could go get somebody in the top fifteen, this might be your year to actually do it and not mortgage the farm. I love the fact you're right. the The availability of offensive and defensive linemen in this draft it goes on for days, even within the twenty picks. It'll be the least sexy draft when we're at that draft party, the aforementioned draft party. You're gonna hear a bunch of names. People are gonna be like. Well, that's not Garrett Wilson. That's not Alave. That's not, you know, this is, who's Charles Cross? He's a tackle out of Mississippi State. Oh, okay, I guess. Because that's usually the answer is, I guess, whenever you draft, and you only pay attention to your offensive linemen, uh, you know, typically. Like, you're, you're looking closely at Florida State's offensive linemen. You know Georgia's defensive tackles, and you know Alabama's offensive line. Like, Evan Neal, you know Evan Neal, but it gets pretty dicey pretty quick. Robert Sandusky, guard, Central Michigan. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I, maybe he's good. Seems. Uh, Let's but, continue the conversation, whatever it is. You know, at the, at the draft party, like, oh, whatever. The first, I, 
I do think Kenny Pickett's going to play pretty well in the NFL. I'm not telling you I think he's a stud. I think he's a starting quarterback in the league. He's I got a lot of the throws. He's got a lot of the throws. That's right. That's why I kind of wishfully threw out that if you were around at 27th. Always angling. Hey, you have to. I care deeply. Well, it's not like Kyle Hamilton's going to fall down there. It's not like you're, you're going to get one of these studs in the draft. You're going to get a guy that, well, there's some question marks about. And now, again, I guess we could move up. You could. Well, especially if, let's just say that Brady wanted to return and you could trade his draft rights because he doesn't want to play in Tampa or tra- trade his contract, uh, I should say. Not, yeah. You go get something for him. Send him to Green Bay. 12 for 12. <laughs> 12 for 12. <laughs> it's the Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. Welcome back to Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Good to be with you. Thanks for being with us. Yesterday, we welcomed uh, Shannon and Chad, the legendary team from Hamilton Home Loans, onto the program as a partner of the Jeff Cameron Show. And in doing so, I wanted to note that I found out uh, John Joplin here, uh, our, our co-worker and, and, and dear friend uh, at 93.3 Real Talk Radio, uh, let me know, by the way, that uh, his parents and his brother and his sister all used Shannon for a recent home loans. That's good news. That is First-hand experience, uh, and that is a, another reason to celebrate our partnership with them because it went exceptionally well. Like-minded guys, FSU guys, love the FSU community. They do indeed, and uh, our dinner certainly revealed that to me as we went back down memory lane to better times when Florida State didn't suck and we did have depth and we were able to talk about it with great celebratory tones what's next for the Knowles. Uh, so, you know, why not? If you need a home loan, why don't you go through an FSU guy? You're an FSU guy or gal, and uh, and and they'll more importantly do a great job. And he takes the opportunity to make it as easy as possible for you. Great rates, cutting edge technology, transparent communication. It's a five star mortgage experience. So you want to do that, uh, and you know what? You save a lot of money, especially if you mention the Jeff Cameron Show. We welcome you yet again, Shannon and Chad from Hamilton Home Loans. Look them up on Twitter, Instagram, say hello. Thank them for joining the JCS family online at FSUHomeLoans.com. That's FSUHomeLoans.com. Yeah, right? So here's the uh, <laughs> response to our discussion of the uh, offensive and defensive lines in that first segment. The, the the least terrible position groups at FSU are currently the offensive and defensive line, writes Briley. What's next, flying pork? I agree. It is uh, it is it is a rare day that I think we can safely say that. I think we can safely say that. How about them apples? My goodness, it is that is just keep saying it over and over to yourself because that is something that we haven't been able to say in a very long time. And guess what? It's certainly something that. Um, Helps win and or lose football games. If you're right there, you can survive being okay to average everywhere else. If you're not right there and you're great at those other places, you're going to lose. You're going to lose against good football teams. So if you're going to get something right and you're going to improve drastically in an area, that'd be the area. Well, and we would be remiss to have this discussion and not mention the name Alex Atkins. His approval rating right now with Florida State fans is high, and it should be. 
and we should also trust that he can develop. You know, beyond we were talking about how we feel good about the interior, but the two tackle positions. It'll be fun to see in spring and fall camp how some of the backups come along, and maybe Robert Scott turns into a next level player. Something that you can mm. rely on week in and week out. I don't mean next level as an all American. I'm okay. talking about second team all ACC. Yeah. Is that too much to ask for? Just just be just don't suck. Yeah. Somebody that you don't think about when the ball is snapped. You're like, all right, I'm not yeah. even thinking about him. And in a negative way. Yeah. You right. don't sit around thinking, oh man. That's the best part about an offensive line. If it's good is you don't think about it. I don't think about Ali Marpet as a Bucks fan. He doesn't cross my mind once a game unless he, like he's a pulling guard in a play and he and he bulldozes somebody. Otherwise, don't think about him. Yeah. Uh yeah 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 I'd like to I'd like to start a play without going oh man <laughs> looks like they're overloading the Robert uh, side it's not good does Jordan see it oh no why would Grambling hire former Baylor coach Art Bryles obviously fired after the 2016 investigation into campus wide allegations of sexual assault from members of the football team and a cover-up. I know eventually the NCAA placed Baylor on four years probation but ruled that Bryles didn't specifically violate its rules. But if you read those reports, you know, and there was a reason my man was fired. If you read those reports, you know that that guy is a piece of crap. If they could have kept him, they would have. Well, they wanted to. Wasn't it Ken Starr that was running that thing? It was yes. It was so. It was nuts. If they could have kept him, they would have. So that tells you all you need to know. Well, here's also what tells you all you need to know. There was a committee that noted that while the they were leading the program, the school's handling of sexual violence and in particular the football program, quote unquote, was a colossal operational failure. That's the guy I want to bring in here at 66 years old. The guy that presided over the colossal operational failure as it pertains to protecting women on a college football campus well, or a college campus. We're only bringing him in as an offensive coordinator. We're not asking him to run the whole program. Leader of men. He's just going to be, you know, help organize the offense. Not asking uh, you know, him to you know, cancer. hey, listen, you know who's soulless is uh, Mount Vernon High School in Texas, who hired him to lead the high school players uh, in 2019 2020. You think they care at all? They're like, listen, we are trying to win some damn football games, Mr. Cameron. Yeah, but, you know, he did preside over a really insidious football program that largely, in, in an effort to win more football games, ignored multiple accusations and provable ones at that later on down the line of rape. Well, again, we're trying to win a lot of football games, Mr. Did Cameron. They even, I, <laughs> did they even win the state? <laughs> it's not worth it if you don't. I mean, it's not uh, worth a period, but yes. you know what I'm saying. Like, jeez. Mm -hmm. um, well, and then, that you know, there were private schools. You couldn't even really get down into the nitty-gritty. Um, that you know, I I know I remember the law firm that came in. It was Pepper Hamilton, and uh, it, it, I remember loving that name. And uh, even they, uh, the most you could get there was, um, you know, not just whether the school, whether the football program handled it poorly, uh, but the school and uh, the, the university. And uh, they even said that uh, that the culture within the football program and Bryles discipline or lack thereof of players. Um, certainly deserved to be altered, to be you know, shifted in the future if they chose to keep him. Like, they came in and they were, you know, 
they were hired by the university, and they're like, yeah, this, this is not a. I don't know what to tell you, Mr. Starr. You've got a problem. <laughs> we, this is not good, man. I know hey, you don't want to hear uh, this. Yeah, this is I not know I wasn't thing. hired for me to tell you this, but yeah. you've got a problem. It, the the uh, You know how we've had back-to-back days now for the PR firm. There was uh, a quote, and I always love when the people who are under the microscope are asked to speak on the accusations specifically, especially if it's not an outright denial, but they are acquiescing to the idea that they could have done things better. Bryles, quote, some bad things may have happened under my watch, and for that, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's the quote. Direct quote. <laughs> it's like scumbag week. Oh, man. I just That's the best. I mean, can that's, you get beyond simple? There it is. That's beyond simple. I mean, that's about as surface level and bland as Jim Tressel's you know who didn't do really much right wrong. tattoos and books yeah that wasn't the wasn't mistakes i made are unfortunate well that, but, that was you know, a great line yeah but that's essentially what bryles is saying about uh some bad secondary thing. sanduskyism here yeah bad things happened under my watch and for that i'm sorry let's move it along here we got Where's practice in an hour everybody let's go yeah that's a toughie that's a toughie jeff gabbard show 93.3 real talk radio and war chant tv Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time time or your money back guaranteed because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to make your car the mvp and bring home huge wins keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply chef Gabriel show 93.3 real talk radio war chant tv now, we're going to be off the air by the time the vote takes place, a very important vote today in regards to stadium repairs at Doe Campbell Stadium. You are aware, if you've been following the news, of this uh, vote that was uh, is pending uh, and the argument. It's become political now. I'm not going to choose a side here right now on the air in the, in, in the sense that um, I don't believe that I'm educated enough to do so. I have an opinion. But it's a cursory glance at uh, what has been asked for uh, from Blueprint and uh, the twenty million for stadium repairs and all of that. So I'll just lay the bullet points out for those wondering because it is a big deal. Uh, I, I'm wondering if they just don't split the difference. Um, you know, if you go back to Florida A&M, who needed desperately needed to repair Bragg Stadium. Um, and TCC, by the way, uh, also uh, got money uh, for their athletic facilities and, and needed it, needed it. Um, and so FSU is, is saying, yeah, yeah, we want some too. We need some too. Uh, and so if you go back to Florida A&M, they asked for $40 million from Blueprint. That got whittled down to $10 million. Um, there, the argument was that certainly for for FAMU and Bragg Stadium is they may not have been able to host football games if the state given the stadium's condition at that time they they had to have money um, that would have been an eco- economic loss to the city 
Uh, TCC, by the way, was aimed at helping the school host more events and facilities, thus bringing in more money as well. Florida State has said, look, they're looking to do more to open up Doak for more public events. So that's a reason for the high ask, some say. Others say nonsense. Uh, you you want to make cosmetic changes. Uh, let's whittle this down to what has to be done for safety reasons, right? There's the argument, the push and the pull, the give and the take. Yeah, there. your rector set's old as hell. It is. Um, and so, you know, if you, sub- if you support the donation, uh, you, you would say there's no bigger economic driver to this community than Florida State University, uh, which brings in nearly $50 million, uh, every home game uh, you know, every season. So, uh, although, I mean, the, uh, who knows where those estimates come uh, from? And yeah, how I'm not going to get into yep, this yep. again, again. Um, you know, I, the point is, it's going down today. I know that Florida State's boosters have funded the bulk of the money, some $100 million in all of this refurbishment for Doe Campbell Stadium. FSU is asking Blueprint for $20 million for those stadium repairs. So that should be noted. Uh, it, the Blueprint board meets at 3 p.m. at City Hall and will take up bond financing for the stadium and eight other projects. So eight other projects are, are being talked about here, too, totaling $116 million. FSU stands to receive, if it goes through, $20 million in funding for its project to make accessibility and safety repairs. Doe Cable Stadium 71 years old. 71 years old. Um, you know, the state normally funds university buildings, but it does not typically fund stadiums or dorms, those kinds of things. FSU got around that loophole 20 years ago when the legislator, legislature enclosed Doak with a massive classroom slash office complex. I was here for all of that. I remember all of that. I remember when it started. I remember going to school, and I remember walking with my buddy Stephen Rafferty, who is a film school graduate, as they were adding all of that into the stadium. It was amazing to watch. I remember walking up there and probably doing things I shouldn't have been with my friends because we had access Goodness. to that. Oh, I don't mean anything crazy. I just remember like being able to walk into areas that were under repair or under construction and and having fun because um, they you know the film school students could do that, that kind of thing. That's all I'm saying. This wasn't a fifty yard line date. Hey, hey, this hey, wasn't hey. a fifty yard yep, line yep. date. I see you over there insinuating stuff. Well, listen, that, <laughs> the precedent of many stories that you've told where it's like, oh, I got away with this. Like, oh, yeah, goodness. So I think that is the overview that I sought to give there. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. That's the big overview. You understand the two sides. You understand that there is this has become largely political. People will use it as uh, their main argument, their their focal point. Others would say, okay, listen, this, this, what, what, you know, you're going to deny money to the biggest uh, economic impactor in the in the city. What are you what are you doing? Right, but that doesn't mean necessarily that you have to give them the full amount that they're asking correct, for. There's, there's yeah, a bunch of stuff here, yeah, but yeah. if you vote on it over and over again, whether it be for approval or earmarking it certain eventually things... eventually becomes political. Right, because then you get six and seven chances to rehash the argument, and what is you know politics? It's about repeating your position, simple positions, over and over again so you can score cheap points rather than serve the issue at hand. That's mm-hmm. that's why we hate politics. Oh, big time. Right. Yes. Because it's never over, about the well, issue at rarely. hand. Rarely. Yeah, rarely. For me, for me, it's simple. I'll take a brief position here, just because I'll I'll make an analogy that's oversimplified. It's like uh, watching any courtroom show, Law and Order, right? You have a defense attorney and a prosecutor fighting about something, and one piece of evidence is brought in based upon this technicality, and then the other side flips it and they say, "Well, 
If you can do if that, you can do then, that then I I'll can. do this. Objection, Your Honor. Well, you open the door, Counselor. Yeah. That, to me, is where we are here with the earmarking of funds for stadiums and or not cosmetic upgrades, but necessary upgrades within Leon County is, well, if you've opened the door to help other universities, then and the in the name of economic driving, you know, bringing dollars, ROI back to Leon County, then, I mean, if FSU needs a little help, you can give them some help. Doesn't mean you have to give them 100%, but you got to give them something. Mm-hmm. Seems fair, but... No, I think this was also going to happen. Right. It happened. I'm not worried about it. Yeah, I mean, I I know there is the ring. Well, of it's the, the repetitive nature. Where yeah. It's like, okay, so how many times do we have to try this well, in it's terms of been... approving it, earmarking it, and actually delivering the funds? How many times do we have to do that? It was already that's voted what... yes, by the way, correct, numerous times. Several, yes, but that's where everybody gets a chance for a headline five, six times yeah. on the same topic. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, on the topic of the stadium, uh, going as somebody who is uh, old, just I just what I call myself now, old. Not as old as many others that listen to this show, but old, by way of comparison to, say, a 25-year-old. Uh, I, I can recall. I can recall many a day uh, arriving at this stadium with my father uh, in, the, uh, in the 80s, and it was a very different-looking stadium. And so we talk about the outer shell, if you will. Um, and I always, think, uh, I always think, my God, this has come such a long way. You are reminded repeatedly of uh, how it is that you, cosmetically, aesthetically, you can make something that is structurally shaky look really good. As you walk towards Doe Campbell Stadium, you think, my God, what a facade. I remember my buddy. Uh, I bring up bring him up often, Kobe, who whose who undergrad was at Nebraska. He's a he's, you know family of Nebraska Cornhuskers, and he came here and got his PhD. He walked up and it was after the brick had been done, and the outer you know what you see now was there, and he, he was like, "This is amazing! You guys have an incredible stadium." And then we walked in. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that's the thing about yeah, yeah, you know yeah, yeah, Notre yeah. Dame Stadium. It just looks like. Doke from the inside the whole way around. When you walk around, oh, it looks you're worse. Like, you're like, oh. It looks worse. Now they have luxury boxes that would do we, yeah, and we were laps around the, what we do. Yeah, we were actually just sitting in the stands amongst the uppity. Right, mm-hmm. but you walk in, you're like, oh man, this really is old. Mm-hmm. Like they're not Brick, even trying. Cold, it crappy. Me, yeah, just like the town. Exactly, it's a dump. It, it reminded yeah. me of going to the original Yankee Stadium. I went there several times in the early 2000s before they replaced it, and I hear the new one is just crappy too. But the old was falling apart. Like there were years where the Yankees had to go play across town and play in Shea for a full season because yeah. Yankee Stadium was falling to ruin. But the facade counts for a lot. That helps. Yes. The branding of that helps oh. because we went to LSU. Yeah, that stadium looks like a dump too from the outside. I go easy about dump. I mean, I thought it was it's huge, but I thought it was substandard. It didn't have the cosmetic edge that it's impersonal stadium has. Yeah, it is. It's but the inside concrete. is awesome. Right. Right. Oh, sure. And the atmosphere is killer, and the, yeah. they got chair backs and all that stuff. But if you're just looking at the outside, you're like, "What? Might the Citrus Bowl? What is this?" You know, the arguments. This is fascinating. I know the, the shrinking stadiums are a good thing in my mind because then you have the opportunity to have a better uh, fan experience. I think because you can add so many more amenities and all that. That's the yeah. separate discussion that people are conflating sometimes with the dollars and saying, "Oh, oh really? So you're going to take that ten for uh, regular upgrades, mm. and then, oh, magically we have more funding for a suite level system." And, and that's where Florida State is is really pushing and saying, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, we're, we're going on the record." Florida State is saying, "And this money from Leon ain't going for that particular project." But Michael Alford's vision, nonetheless, is to have so many different price point levels of experiences. Right now, you've got yes, of course. Skybox's regular yes, seats at Champions yes, yes, Club. Yes, yes. He wants like 10 more. 
and he wants them to be around the sidelines. I really do wonder. I mean, this is a fun discussion, and we're almost done with the hour, but I have always wondered what this is going to look like in 25 years. And I don't mean Florida State specific. I mean the football fan viewing experience, man. With with the advancements in technology and the in-home experience that we speak of, having directly impacted fan attendance at even the most die-hard, uh, fanatical fan bases in universities around the country, whose product isn't suffering currently, but rather winning annually national championships or at least playing for them. I have wondered where this is headed. Are we headed towards 50,000 seat stadiums? Because I remember the day when the race was to 100,000, 120,000, if you could do it. Could you be the next Tennessee or Michigan? And now we sit here, not too far removed from those days, asking, hey, do you really need more than 60,000? Right. Exactly. Or do you need wicked fast Wi-Fi with a whole lot of, I need a beer, ding, 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 boom, it's there. Oh, I like this, and I can check my team. Yeah, my freshman year, the T-shirt we got, the Spirit shirt, was 83,000 strong, and it's just not that anymore. I would envision we'd be closer to you know stadiums that have bowling lanes and, and golf simulators and all kinds of activities to do in these sweet areas than we would anything else. You know, full bars or whatever. Yeah. That's probably where we're going, is people need to be entertained at every waking moment. And that's it's annoying, but that's what the stadiums need to do. Can we have a vote on demolishing sorry-ass Dick Hauser Stadium? Can we get a vote going? How about Leon County? Give us a couple <laughs> of bucks for that. <laughs> we're number two, forthcoming. Stay with it.